As soon as people of the world began traveling on the oceans, lakes, lagoons, and really any other body of, bodies of water, the mythical creatures were created, so to speak. New places, new experiences, with that mindset, it's a little easier to understand how everyday creatures can become the monsters of legend. Take, for example, a simple, fossilized megalodon tooth. For those who are wondering, the megalodon was a dinosaur-era shark that was big enough to bite a blue whale in half, or at least remove its head. And all that remains of them are their teeth, because megalodons, as current-day sharks, are primarily made up of cartilage. So the really only remnants we have of them are the jaws and the teeth, or the jawbones and the teeth. For a simple time frame, the era where dragons came about and people truly believed that there were those monsters out there, although I don't think dragons are truly monsters, but people believe that megalodon teeth were petrified dragon tongues, showing further proof that these mythical creatures existed. We know better now, with more knowledge, but in a time and place, they believed that the world was once swarming with dragons. Well, they were sort of right. There are animals today that resemble what many believed were dragons back then. Sorry for the background noise, that would be my cat, and he's going to the blinds. Okay, you may hear blinds in the background. My cat must look out the window. <laughs> I don't mind. Um, there are animals today that resemble what many believe were dragons, including a branch of water dragons, or sea serpents. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Anne-Marie, and today we are going to dive a little into the history of sea serpents, both in legend and reality. Before we get into it, please remember to rate and review if you are enjoying the show. Those ratings truly go a long way in helping my show be seen and be spread further. Also, please remember to subscribe so that way you get notified of new episodes being released. That is especially important right now as, well, <laughs> as you know, my episodes are just, this one was supposed to come out last week, but it's coming out this week because of wedding, <laughs> wedding stuff. So, um, yeah, so that'll... Just bear that in mind, but please, please, please subscribe. So, now, let's dive in. Sea serpents have been around for centuries, and even found their way onto maps that were being made throughout history. The whole, beyond there, there be monsters. The sailors feared an encounter with any object that lurked in the ocean depth and came up to surprise them. One of the more famous mentions in this history is Jormungandr. I, I do know my uh, Norse isn't perfect. That's, I apologize, that's about as close to the perfect pronunciation as I'm getting. Uh, this is the great sea serpent from Norse mythology. This serpent has a famous father, Loki, and once born, grew so large that he encircled all of Earth, or Midgard as it's known in the myths, and was able to grasp his own tail in his mouth. Even had a, had a small role in the Ragnarok, but I'll leave that for a future episode as I do intend on covering that. 
Another famous one is simply known as Leviathan, and it comes from the book of Job in the Christian Bible. Now, this one played a part in God demonstrating his power of creation to Job. However, an interesting thing is that since, since then, this word Leviathan has actually been used to describe other extremely large creatures of myth. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how that word evolved from being a descriptor of a sea serpent to pretty much any extremely large creature, especially a creature of myth. Actually, for my Disney fanatics out there, remember a wonderfully underrated Disney film, Atlantis the Lost Empire? There was a creature guarding the path to Atlantis when they were underwater when their first ship gets going when their fish when their ship first gets going. And it was actually named, they actually called it a Leviathan. But it definitely did not look like a sea serpent. It was a sea creature, but it did not look like a sea serpent. (laughs) Also, can we take a minute to just please appreciate how wonderful that movie was? It actually breaks my heart a little to keep learning how many people haven't seen this film, including my fiancé, which I fully intend to show show to him as soon as we get some downtime. Um, I remember loving this movie so much, especially when I saw it in theaters. Oh, it was wonderful. I was one of those that absolutely had to have the action figures of Milo and Kita and Princess Kita. Oh my goodness. If you have not watched this movie, I highly recommend it. You will love it. The kids will love it. And if you really need a further selling point, uh, it actually has characters voiced by Michael J. Fox and Leonard Nimoy for my sci-fi lovers out there. Anyway, um, getting, getting, let me get a bit more back on track. I, I understand I have a tendency to ramble sometimes. I can tell you right now, pick a culture. Any culture, any country, they had their own sea serpent ingrained into their stories that were passed from generation to generation. I just mentioned a couple of famous ones. Now, I feel like you, some of you may be wondering why sailors or travelers might be afraid of a sea monster that spanned 50 50 feet or more and could destroy their boat fairly easily. If that didn't make you think of why, let's take a look at a few things, a couple things actually, I think I actually just listed two, that they didn't have and only really came about in the last 100 to 130 years. First, there were no radios. No ways of communication that their ship was sinking or damaged so that someone could come help them. If anything happened to their boat, they best hope their dinghy, if they had one, would be, would hold up until they came across another ship or made it to land even. Uh, Dinghy, you can think of, um, it's a a simple rowboat that they kept. Um, Think about early, early lifeboat is what it would be considered, but they didn't necessarily have enough to fit the entire crew. It was usually used to get from the ship to land if they couldn't pull up to a dock or also going from like ship to ship so they didn't like crash into each other. Even then, there would be no way of having food or water for them for long-term survival. And if they did catch fish, I'm not sure everyone enjoyed raw fish or, you know, sashimi. I don't think they enjoyed that. Second, they had no way of knowing who would rescue them. So there was no general coast guard or international 
rescue of any kind. <clears throat> For all they knew, they would perish or they might get picked up of uh, enemy enemy country at the time if they were warring. Or, if they're in the correct era, they might have even get picked up by pirates. Third, let's see, so that's just two pieces, uh, two things they didn't really have. So the general, like, Coast Guard or International Rescue, they didn't have radios. Um, even then, they didn't even have a long-range um, telegraph system. So another thing, in the early 900s to late 1000s AD, when Norse mythology was prevalent and the Nor um, just the Norse culture, the seas, the ships that were going to sea at the largest, they were only about 75 feet long. Should a sea creature come up that's about 50 feet long, that's a, that's a, bit, that's a bit of trouble. I mean, it, moving forward history and years, you have in the 1600s, the largest ship was maybe around like 900 feet and could hold up to like one to 200 people, sometimes a little more, depends. Depends on how the ship was built. Um, yeah, so if you're having trouble figuring out how big, you know, these ships are compared to modern ships, you're like, please give me a modern example. I have no idea what this is. I could give, you know, Titanic, Queen Mary, everybody, everybody knows, just about everybody knows the Titanic. I know a lot of people know the Queen Mary out here in Long Beach, California. Titanic was, uh, the Queen Mary is actually bigger than the Titanic, because if you're aware of the Titanic, the Titanic could actually sit inside of the Queen Mary. A little bit of a scary thought, but, um, so let's use something much more modern than that. Let's take a look at one of the largest cruise ships today. So that is held by the Royal Caribbean, is a company called the Royal Caribbean. Their ship was named, uh, their ship is named Wonder of the Sea. It is approximately 1,180 feet, 87 feet long in, and can hold up to 6,988 passengers on board alone. That doesn't even include all of the crew, and by crew, I mean any attendants, um, cooking staff, any anybody, any any of the employees on there. That doesn't even include that. Include that. So that... This is essentially a floating city. That's like a floating Las Vegas right there. <laughs> and yeah, I know. Okay. So you're probably muttering to your phone, Anne-Marie, enough of the ship comparisons already. Get on to the sightings. So yes, I will move on to the sightings. I was just making sure you guys understood ship sizes and I'll try to avoid ship comparisons for the rest of the episode. No promises. Like I have a script, but I go off script sometimes, <laughs> as you all have probably figured out by now. A sighting from history happened actually by a saint of Greenland. And I'm giving my apologies in advance. I will not be attempting to pronounce the last name because I'm not quite sure where to even begin. So it is Hans, last name spelled G-R-E-D-E, -E, on July 6th in, 19, in 1734. Now the website I found this from just has quote, just has the direct quote of the sighting. So I will be reading that quote verbatim. Saw a most terrible creature resembling nothing they saw before. The monster lifted its head so high it seemed that the higher than the crow's nest on the main mast. The head was small and the body short and wrinkled. The unknown creature was using its giant fins which propelled it through the water. Later the sailors saw its tail as well. The monster was longer than our whole ship. 
Not sure about the rest of you, but that would scare me off the ocean so fast and not want to take another ship for a very long time. Oof. So, uh, let's move on. The next sighting takes us off the coast of New England here in America. They started, or at least started being recorded, in, eight, in 1638. I say start being recorded because I firmly believe there is so much that was just not written down because they deemed it too boring, not important, or just too silly. Although in this next case, not so silly that they dismissed it entirely. There was an instance in August 1817 where a committee of the New England Linnean Society took it a bit too far when they came across a deformed land snake, they believe, to be a juvenile sea serpent from a recent sea serpent spotted in Gloucestershire Harbor. Also, I do believe, I, I know I'm probably pr pronouncing Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire, Incorrectly, so do forgive me. Uh, they named it, this deformed land snake, they named it Scoliophis atlanticus. So, not sure about you guys, but my guess is they didn't realize that some snakes can swim. And, and this still gives me chills because I'm not comfortable with the knowledge that some snakes can actually swim. That, that's not a comfortable thing to know, but it's also a very important thing to know. <clears throat> so, the serpent spotted in the harbor was pretty well known, actually, as almost every resident had seen it, including crews of at least four whaling boats that had come into that harbor. There were even sworn statements made in front of a local justice of the peace that were first published in 1818 and never recanted. So, no, nobody took it back. Everyone believed what they had seen, and they were so firmly believe that they had seen it, that they made a legal documented record of it. Another famous sighting actually happened in August 1840, excuse me, 1848 by the crew of the HMS Dautilus on their voyage to St. Helena in, South, in the South Atlantic. They reported a creature of 60 feet in length with a maned head above the water and it swam along the ocean, or as it swam along the ocean. Though many have tried to explain the sighting away as a possible upside-down canoe or even just a giant squid that was posing or whatever. Although I don't think giant squids pose for fun. They're not... I don't think they had Instagram then. Or they didn't, actually. I should state they did not. <laughs> um, personally, I feel like the, uh, the crew had been at sea long enough to know what certain creatures or things just look like in the ocean. Like, they would have known if it was an upside-down canoe... They would have known if it was, you know, squid-like, because I'm sure they'd been seen before. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure they saw something. The last sighting I'll mention before I move on to theories happened on April 25th, 1977. And I actually remember hearing about this one, but I'll explain after. A Japanese trawler, uh, again, pronunciations, I apologize, Zuayu Maru? I, I do apologize if I got that wrong. It, it's, it's spelled Z-U-I-Y-O. 
um, that was sailing east of New Zealand. They caught an interesting creature in their nets when hauling them aboard. Pictures were also taken, as well as tissue samples, but they originally thought this was a prehistoric plesiosaur. Uh, If you're not sure what that looks like, think of Nessie from Loch Ness, the most famous one of them all. However, the reason I know about this is because it's popped up in the sharkumentaries. Well, I call them sharkumentaries. They're, they're shark documentaries that come around all sh- every shark week. So, because of those, I know, I know about this. I've heard about this. They've actually talked about this because after analysis, it was determined that it was a carcass of a basking shark. For those who haven't seen a picture, I do recommend looking one up if you can. They are very intriguing sharks that are able to open up their mouth wider than almost their whole body. It makes for a really cool picture and because you actually get to see inside. It's so cool. I, I, I recommend it. <clears throat> All things said, while I do believe there are creatures in this oceans, in our oceans that we haven't discovered, because truly, I believe we we know more about the surface of Mars than underneath our our whole oceans. There is a viable explanation for some of the sightings, most likely. Oh, hold up. Kitty cat is getting ready to jump, and I'm not sure. Okay, there he goes. <laughs> you may you may hear him. You may not. You may hear a collar jingle or blinds or just stuff being knocked around. That is my cat Jade. <laughs> He's coming in and out of my room. Uh, viable explanations for some of the sightings. Not all, but some. And that is the giant oarfish. This particular fish grows up to 36 feet in length, although there are reports of saying, of some saying even up to 50 feet, which I could believe because they more are deep dwellers. They prefer to be deep in the oceans during the day, but they come up during the night. Uh, and these creatures can weigh up to... 600 pounds. Wow. If that, hit a wo- if that hit a wood boat, that would hurt. Again, if you haven't seen an image of this fish, please look it up. Once you see it, you'll understand why they thought it was a monstrous sea serpent. It looks to have a frilled crown on its head, like long frills, like at least 12 inches maybe, just for the descriptions, and frills all the way down its back. I would believe it to be a monster, as well if I didn't know any better or, you know, didn't have any internet. The humble giant oarfish is a gentle giant with no real danger to humans. And here's where it gets a little interesting. There is a worldwide area of living for this, for this fish. So it's found all over the world. Minus the polar regions. So why is this interesting? Remember a minute ago when I was talking about the sighting report from Hans off the coast of Greenland? That's pretty far north and close to polar waters. So I'm doubting what he saw was a giant oarfish. There have also been other culprits accused of masquerading as a sea serpent, like whales, sharks, and specifically a frilled shark. This looks like a creature of legend, as frill sharks, they have the long slender body, so they do look like a sea serpent. But they got something fun, they got something fun and funky going on. Their gills actually have red skin under them, so they kind of, they kind of look, 
freaky and their teeth oh their teeth are their teeth are interesting they have long thin spiky teeth i please look up a picture these these sharks are beautiful um, so i could see some people confusing them as a baby sea serpent if they didn't really know any better and uh yeah i guess this leaves us with one last question what do you listeners believe could it be a could there be a giant sea serpent or sea serpents swimming around and you know freaking people out or are the gentle giant or fish to blame hmm things to ponder until next episode i guess but keep your swim gear on as we're staying in the ocean next time as well Thank you so much for listening today, and I appreciate your patience with this episode being delayed. I am going to work on getting the next two episodes recorded before the wedding, so you won't have any delay next time around. Please rate and review and subscribe to help out my little show, and I hope to see you back next time. Until then, safe exploring, everyone.